New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect. Greetings and uh, welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Uh, we are here, we are locked in live today on LinkedIn Live, and we are doing a special episode of the New Zealand Tech Podcast uh, <laughs> to talk about NFTs, non-fungible tokens, um, but not just for any random reasons. Um, there's been some pretty uh, pretty impressive results here in New Zealand with the Fluff World, which has gone massively global. Uh, so very keen to delve in and hear about that. Uh, but first up, let's uh, let's introduce our guests. Brooke Howard-Smith, you're up first. G'day, I'm Brooke Howard-Smith. Um, I work with Non-Fungible Labs, a project I started with another one of the guests here, Aaron, a while back, and uh, Aaron and the team there have built a pretty great project called Fluff World. Thank you, Brooke. That's Aaron. I did both our intros. <laughs> you do, you do the rest of your yeah, do yeah. the rest of your stuff, buddy. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Brooke. <laughs> yeah, uh, you I'll let Janine thanks, go Aaron. first, maybe. Uh, Janine Granger, I'm the CEO of Easy Crypto, uh, which doesn't sell any NFTs yet, but um, we're super keen to get amongst that. And yeah, great to see what Aaron and Brooke and the team are doing in this space. So over to you, Aaron. Tell us more. Yeah, so um, Aaron McDonald here, so, um, founder of Centrality, you might know me as, but uh, we have something like 50 to 60 portfolio companies now, and um, the Non-Fungible Labs is kind of our NFT studio business who recently launched Fluff Worlds, which is quickly becoming one of the top that projects in the world in the We're NFT space. We're definitely keen to delve a little bit into more into that very shortly. Um, Janine, just a little bit of background on Easy Crypto for those that don't um, know who you are and, and what you do would be great. Uh, sure thing. So we're um, New Zealand's largest platform for trading cryptocurrencies. So we offer buy, sell and swap services for Bitcoin, Ethereum and many, many more. Um, we're going global and we're also you know, wanting to expand into new products and services. So things like NFTs are stuff that we love to be getting up on the platform, working with Fluff World and others to make these projects accessible for everyone. Who's going to put their hand up to, uh, to describe what NFTs are? <laughs> Aaron McDonald. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so um, NFTs, I think the best way to think of them is a um, digital certificate, um, which can be attached to some content um, and allows you to prove um, that you own that piece of content is one one really kind of simple explanation. But the broader kind of explanation is that they are a way of digitally recording something that is non-fungible. Well, what is non-fungible? Um, if we think about the opposite of that, it might help us understand. So something that's fungible is um, cash money, right? So we can take a dollar and we can give it to someone and swap that for another dollar and they're completely equal things. Um, non-fungible things are unique. And so um, they... Um, can't be exchanged one for one. So examples of that would be pieces of art. For example, your mortgage on your house is a non-fungible thing. You are a non-fungible thing because you're unique in the universe. Um, and so, um, so this is just a kind of new way of capturing and recording the ownership or proofs of ownership of non-fungible things. Cool. 
Just have to say, I find it really amusing that NFTs is the name that is caught on for these types of things because yeah. of all the way to explain what it is, using the phrase non-fungible, which no one actually understands what that means. <laughs> it's like, why did we pick that? Why don't we just pick, you know, unique authenticators or unique yeah. tokens or something? But hey, yeah. NFTs it is. And um, we will always be, we will be for a long time, I think, explaining what that means. Yeah. And I think um, in the kind of popular culture, it's be- it's become... Um, a rep, you know, kind of popularly known as a representation of a piece of digital art that exists within a blockchain environment or is linked from a blockchain environment to a piece of art. Um, and so that's kind of the common use case for it. Um, and and it's um, fast becoming, you know, the substrate of what people would start to know as the metaverse, um, which is another kind of expansion of the idea that kind of emerges out of these non-fungible assets. Do you want to tell us more about the metaverse, Aaron? I know it's something that probably a lot of people haven't heard this phrase yet, or yeah, if they have, don't know what it means. It's um, Me So I think, um, you know, this is something that's becoming a lot bigger now. Um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg has come out and said that the metaverse is the future of Facebook. Um, you know, head of gaming at Google has said that this is the future of gaming. Um, and so I think the best way to describe the metaverse is a more immersive internet with one special property, which is that the assets that exist in the applications are owned by individuals and portable between applications. So if you think today, like um, some people might jump to like virtual reality as being the metaverse thing. And I think the the distinction there is the difference between a walled garden where your identity or your character or the items that you carry um, with you are locked into that one app. Whereas the metaverse would allow you to say, take your character out of that app and put it in a different game because you own the assets individually. And probably like a big, a a big analogy to this would be um, if you haven't seen it already, um, go and watch ready player one. So Ready Player One is kind of what the metaverse conceptually could be. Nice, thanks, Darren. And 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 obviously the the largest part of this is that it's spilling well out of outside of gaming. Although gaming has a good head start on this because some of the functionalities of the metaverse, a lot of them, are similar overlapping functionalities of gaming, but the biggest pushes are, are, are coming from people outside of gaming and around um, technology and retail because there's huge financial upsides for creating a parallel kind of ecosystem with proprietary Yeah, I think if you just kind of imagine the, um, you know, the world is becoming more and more a, a digital space. You know, if we look at the value of Fortune 500 companies and 90% of the S&P's um, Fortune 500 are, um, you know, of the value in them as intangible assets. And so this is kind of the way the economy is going as um, we move more and more into a digital economy, then the way we experience all the things we do today um, will become more and more digital. And that kind of collection of experiences becomes what the metaverse is in the future. And so it'll cross across you know, art and culture, you know, finance, um, governance and society, all of those things will kind of emerge inside of this more digital space with that key defining factor that um, individual users kind of own those assets and their identity and they're portable between different applications. 
And if you imagine as a brand, and it's 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 a lot easier when you're explaining this to a, a, a 16 to 19 year old. This is this makes total sense to them because they deal with a whole bunch of digital brands already. Um, but if you imagine a brand like Nike, who has spent uh, a long time trying to own as much of the environment of their kind of fans as possible, you know, the, the, the objects, and they're getting locked out of an entire environment in this gaming environment because, you know, six, seven hours a day or whatever the, the time that the, these, um, the recreational hours that a lot of people are spending, um, they don't they don't have assets in that environment yet. And so the metaverse is, is um, and as Aaron's pointed out, the sense of the unwalled garden, um, uh, an environment that encourages all of these these Titan platforms and Titan companies to work together to form portability and connectivity. And practically, how, it immediately how do we can, see that playing out, sorry, right? So portability obviously is a huge thing. Mm. Um, we, you know, as a culture and as an economy, we're typically used to seeing things being very... Um, you know, you know, interoperability is not a big player. You've got Apple and everything sits inside their ecosystem and you can't port apps, for example, from your iPhone onto your Android device. And yeah. even among the blockchain community, we've got all these different blockchains. You know, Ethereum with the ERC-20 tokens enables a lot of interoperability, but not cross-chain, at least to the same extent that what we're talking about here would require. So is that still a problem yet to be solved or how do we see that um, truly being realised? Yeah, I think like kind of take one step back before I answer that question. So, you know, people might ask why blockchain, you know, um, and this is a question that comes up a lot actually but from people. Um, when I mentioned earlier about this personal ownership thing, that's the key. So what blockchains are is community-owned cloud infrastructure. And so once something is community-owned and community-run, then you start to open the doors to being genuinely able to have personal ownership because now... Um, the decisions about how um, those assets are managed and the infrastructure behind them is managed um, isn't at the mercy of whoever has the switch to the data center because it's run commonly by the community in a decentralized way. And so we can't have personal ownership without community-owned infrastructure. Um, and this is a good way, blockchains are a good way of developing community infrastructure. So that's the first thing. The second thing is is a really good point. Um, there's two levels, actually, I think, of interoperability at play with this um, metaverse concept. And um, the first is that underlying infrastructure one, um, which is, um, in a, you know, there are solutions emerging to this, but it's early days. Um, if we think about the early internet, even when I was an engineer 20-something years ago, there was a lot of spaghetti behind the scenes in the um, networking space between different protocols. You know, Cisco as a company emerged out of the idea that, that protocols needed, you know, intermediaries between them to kind of convert between one and the other. Um, and so we're in that kind of phase. I think um, as we move forward, more and more in interoperability standards will emerge and that will become less of a problem. The second layer um, is... Um, that the interoperability of assets. So even if you have this kind of um, transportable asset, not every application will necessarily be able to use the same um, type of asset, whether that's kind of um, a voxel environment or a low poly environment or a high def environment. So, um, so there's kind of two bits of interoperability. 
thankfully though there are standards emerging in that too so i think we'll we'll see file formats that are move, moving towards kind of having the scalability in them that can work inside of different environments um, and make the assets more transportable too um, having said that kind of interoperability at the network layer isn't a massive concern today even though that problem exists like you you mentioned earlier janine um that can actually be solved at the application layer so an application can talk to multiple infrastructures it's a little bit more development work to do that but it's not a technical challenge for stopping that happening today and guys we've seen it happen obviously when you've got a game as popular as Fortnite and there's enough consumer demand, it forced a hand of, um, you know, deathly rivals, Microsoft and Sony and these people, and, and even and even Mac, even Apple, uh, forced their hand to build um, systems of portability that, like some portability that allowed people to operate and play uh, from different consoles against each other. And so... Um, part of that comes from building, obviously, an immensely popular um, environment that there's consumer pressure. And with my really low understanding, obviously, there's, you know, I always have to put my hand up. I am the least technical person in the room. The other part that I love about the project that we're working on is that it's avatar focused. And if blockchain has taught us everything, it's about the sense of building a personal identity, this identity and ownership. And the more that you build into these, the more power that they have, the more that these Titan platforms will have to effectively conform to, to those plays, if that makes sense. Apple, by the way, is being called out already in the environment as being someone that is going to get left behind rapidly unless they change the way that they work completely. So um, if, they list, if you listed the 20 Titan companies that have a shot at this, Apple is at the very bottom, simply because of their walled garden um, now, MOs. before we sort of, um, yeah, delve in onto anything else, can we can Ooh. we jump back to the fluff world, the, the fluff world <laughs> story <laughs> on, let, let's, let, let's hear about that, um, because I, I don't think too many people know what's, uh, what's been going on there, and um, you've had an incredible number of, um, or value of, of transactions there, uh, with Fluff World, what's the story? Where did where did it um, you know where did the idea sort of start, and um, how have you got to the the current point? Yeah, um, so we we um, were kind of just a group of mates talking about you know how to um, play a role in this emerging um, NFT and metaverse space, and um, a bunch of us got together and decided we'd create a studio to help kind of create content for it and technology for it. Um, so Brooke and myself, a guy called Matt Hunter, um, Tyler Ward, um, and a few others um, initially started a company called Non-Fungible Labs. And then we quickly got joined by two pre prestigious talents, um, Jesse and Alex, um, who um, brought the kind of creative energy to, to the team. Um, we released a project um, earlier than the fluff worlds called the unstoppable art machine which is actually still going but um the concept there was to um connect physical world street art and artists to um a digital audience by allowing them to go on this giant treasure hunt to find street art and claim it as a non-fungible token so we had this kind of idea kicked off and it's still still actually kind of going but um uh 
we then kind of were looking at, um, you know, where, where the next project space would lie. And um, we've seen quite a few projects having some success with the notion of this new digital identity. Um, you know, people might be aware of CryptoPunks, um, which is one of the, um, you know, well, as the kind of biggest project in the world in this space. Um, Visa recently bought a CryptoPunk as a, as a brand asset, you know, for $150,000. So um, one of the original projects, um, Board 8 Yacht, Yachts Club, Yacht Club is another one that started to change the game and give people um, a sense of um, creative culture around a particular online identity. And then we looked at what were the um, kind of opportunities in that space, and what we what we kind of noticed was that everyone was doing something that was very one dimensional. Um, it was like a an image that you could stick on your Twitter profile, um, and there wasn't much more to it. Now these images like conveyed a certain sense of culture and identity, um, but they weren't um, enab- enabling kind of rich interactions. So the team came up with this concept of of providing an avatar, an identity, a community, and a culture that was a much richer um, was a much richer multimedia experience. And so, fluffs are three dimensional. They come with music embedded in them. Uh, music's a big part of um, people's identity, so you can kind of um, mix the the visual appeal of the avatar with the music that comes behind the scene. And these characters can now start to um, do things in these virtual environments because they're three d and they're 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 riggable and so you can kind of start to use them as a as a character in a game world as opposed to being a a static image on your profile. Um, so team was kind of working hard at that. We combined some of the early thoughts we had around um, the unstoppable art machine. so fluff world's not just um, a character that you're kind of identifying with and collecting and kind of um, being being part of that media experience on, it's actually also a game. Um, so all throughout the content, the community, the onboarding processes, the mechanics around how these characters are created and used, um, everything is a game inside a game. There's puzzles and clues and treasure hunts and um, activities that are buried through the content. So you're kind of taking this very one-dimensional idea that became popular and turning it into this multimedia experience for a for a community and yeah it's done really well it's kind of um on um opening we sold out ten thousand of these things um within 40 minutes um to people all around the world we uh had the highest aaron how would you describe those that are that are jumping on board with this thing right now yeah it's really interesting like so typically you know these types of projects sell um, quite fast to what you call crypto natives. You know, these are people who are in the digital asset space and they kind of understand this next wave of technology and they've got assets already in, in that space to spare and they kind of like to show off and, and um, you know, have a bit of clout by owning one of these things. Um, what we found with um, Fluff World was we had those people and we have those kind of really... Um, uh, deep in the crypto space and passionate about what what the spa- what the space is doing, we also had like celebrities, you know, people who are artists who could see the creative um, content potential by using these avatars as a medium to communicate content to an audience. So big names like Steve Aoki, for example, um, buying into this, and then we have um, 
what was really interesting, um, and I think something a little bit unique to Fluff, is a lot of first-time NFT purchases. And these were people who weren't necessarily in the in deep in the crypto or NFT scene, but they really loved the content and they loved the game, you know, the idea of the game, and they could kind of identify with the community um, that this was creating. So we have this quite broad spectrum, and already now it's one of what what one of the most decentralized top tier projects in the world. If you look at kind of concentration of ownership, we're in a really good space with um, with how the community is growing out and attracting new new players into the space cool and um, what sort of what sort of prices you know if you break it down into um on a new zealand dollar or us dollar sort of amounts were, were required for people to um to be able to participate uh because you know often you look at nfts and um you know it's x number of you know ethereum coins required um and last i looked at you know ethereum was sort of north of Three thousand US dollars a a piece. Um, it didn't yeah. didn't look to be sort of your typical sort of just you know collecting some card or shoe or something that's pretty basic. Like um, what what yeah. So what what's that range? Been? So we made it we made it pretty accessible and um, and I, this is a relative term, um, but the initial mint price of each one of these assets was around five hundred New Zealand dollars. Um, so that, that might sound like a lot of money, and it is actually a lot of money. Um, but in the world of collectibles, you know, this was a category-changing project, and it's the kind of thing that you know attracted a lot of interest because of that. Um, the the highest price I think we've had one sell on secondary sale. So when you kind of sell these things, there's the primary market that was fair. Everyone got the chance to to mint one of these things at the same price, and they get randomly. Um, assigned a character you don't know what you're buying before you press that button in the same way you might buy a baseball card pack and you don't know what's inside until you rip it open and see what cards you got Um, and so people pay the same price they minted them some of them are more special than others Um, so um, you might have been lucky enough to get like a really rare one that there is only two of in the whole um, or one of in the whole collection some of those have sold some, for some pretty impressive numbers. I think um, de- certainly north of one hundred and fifty thousand New Zealand dollars for one. Wow, that's uh, that's that's impressive. Yeah. And um, you know, walk walk us through how that works with a sort of secondary market sale um, mm. because NFTs are, are a little bit different in terms of how that how that happens, right? Yeah. So. Um, so how this works is that once you have the asset, it's yours um, and um, you can do what you like with it. And in fact, with this project, we allow full commercial rights to the content. So if you want to take your character and make a derivative of it, you can. If you want to remix the music behind it and sell that, you can. If you want to try create some merchandise from it, you can. If you want to do a cartoon series on TV, you can. All full commercial rights go to to the owner of the asset. Um, and so um, that encourages a lot of um, creativity in the community and kind of um, creative expression. When And what that then does is create kind of demand for the assets. And so once you um, create value in your character by, by making it useful or desirable to people, you can then list them um, for sale or receive offers in the open market. Um, there's a, a popular marketplace called OpenSea 
Um, and OpenSea is, I guess, like the Google of NFTs. You can find you know, NFTs from different networks all across the collections and people can make offers um, to buy your NFT or you can sell and list them for sale or put, in, put them up for auction. So um, like a trade me cross with a Google, I guess, for NFTs. And, and that, in that secondary market, um, we, we build into the um, computer program that generated these um, characters called a smart contract, um, a royalty commission. So each time it sells in that marketplace, the, our project gets a small piece of that 5% of that sale. And that goes to funding development of new ideas and content and stuff for the ecosystem. Hey, Aaron, I just um, pulled up OpenSea and yeah, great way to see a good showcase of um, the different fluff characters and there's so many out there. I can see there's 10,000 on OpenSea. How many are there in total and how many do you expect to um, create over time? Is that a known figure? Yeah, so there are only 10,000. Um, they've all been minted. And um, this is one of the things that appeals around NFT collectibles is this provable rareness. Um, so people can validate the contract that created these um, on the blockchain and they can see that there were only over 10,000 of them minted and they can see that we can't change that number. And so they can rely on that being as, you know, provably scarce, let's say. Um, they can also validate that their character is part of that collection, that someone hasn't copied it um, or, you know, gone and created another set of characters that's outside of that world as well. Um, how, having said that, um, fluff world is a world. Um, and so the fluff drop that you see there is the first piece of content to emerge from fluff world. Um, and we already have several known and unknown, um, content expansions for the, for the franchise. Um, and some of those are pretty cool. The one that's known is, um, the idea of breeding. So, um, you will be able to take some fluffs and they might agree to form a family. And um, out of that, they will be able to create some flufflets. Um, and so now you have another asset um, that's linked to your fluff and that's its own individual character. And then it will be able to do interesting things in the, in the metaverse too. So, um, so the collection will grow, but there'll only ever be, you know, 10,000 original fluffs. And I also got to ask the um, inspiration for the rabbits. The, I mean, they're fantastic, very cool characters. But where did that come from? Was there a lot of kicking around what you're going to design, or Jess, was that just from day one? That was it. The the creative director Jesse has a pet rabbit, yeah. which is he. The pet rabbit has no idea that it's generated forty five million dollars in revenue in the last three weeks. I hope it got a hot catch up. It's Greg. getting some decent treatment. Yeah, it gets unlimited blueberries. Apparently, that's its favorite food. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna die of some kind of antioxidant poisoning. And it's kind of like yeah, yeah. So like, <laughs> you know, Jesse's a genius. He's like, you know, um, like like really a creative a genius, genius like, like really really clever yeah. um, creative director. And um, you know, the idea has so many um, dimensions to it. You know, the the whole notion of going down a rabbit hole um into the metaverse is just a great meme to build out content from we have a members only area called the underground um where you, if you have a fluff you can use it as your identity to log into the website so only people who have 
that asset in their collection can actually get into this space. So you can use these um, characters as digital identity on the internet. And so um, so the underground will be this kind of expanding um, space for people to start to come and have um, richer social interactions within that community. And, and, and Aaron kind of alluded to something earlier, which, um, and these are just the layers that are just um, evolving and developing. But one of the great things was the ability, there's a really easy interface for someone that's never, has no idea about smart contracts or blockchain. Um, you can go into the underground, log in, connect your wallet up, really easy to do. Um, go and change your fluff's name and then write out a backstory for your fluff and then just click, you know, enter, charge a bit of gas, but that'll be logged into the, into the blockchain. You've just adjusted a smart contract's contents. And that's something that I, I don't know how many projects in the blockchain have ever made that feasible. But what the result is, the biodynamic result of that is, is we're getting people forming these kind of collectives of creatives that are building whole names and backstories for their fluffs, interactions. We had a band form this morning um, where people gathered a, a fluff band together um, they're creating these ridiculous, brilliant backstories that are, are brilliant. And one of the things that I think is truly incredible, Gary Vee had a great piece the other day about uh, NFTs that you should definitely check out. And he talked about how his collection, you know, he hopes to be the next Disney that um, is able to kind of like create new characters for a new universe. Um, and I think he may have got this slightly wrong. The idea of releasing 10,000 random fluffs out randomly to 10,000 creative people out there in the, in, in the world, all around the world, and then saying, go for it. Tell us what this character is, what they're interested in, what their backstory is, is a completely new way to create storylines and content. Yeah, and I think that it shouldn't be um, uh, misunderstood that this is no longer a fringe thing. You know, um, a lot of the, the, the kind of listeners out here or, or um, what, what viewers might think that this is some kind of corner, dark corner of the internet. I have had conversations in the last, you know, couple of months with the biggest content producing brands in the world, the big, the biggest um, uh, um, apparel brands in the world, the um, largest um, media franchises in the world, the largest, re largest recording artist um, management agencies in the world. Every one of them is donkey deep in um, either exploring how to develop content in this space developing content in this space, investing in this space. And these are these are household names. These aren't kind of your, you know, up and comers. These are the biggest brands in the world. Coca-Cola has released wearable merchandise in this space. Um, Marvel and Disney have licensed their content to a Kiwi company called Ecomi, um, who, um, you know, sells, sells out, you know, every time they do a release, Batman, Spider-Man, all these brands, millions of dollars of revenue every time um, being generated by Kiwi companies too. Um, and and the, and the same in the, in the game space, every AAA title studio in the world is working on the stuff. I've had conversations with at least three of them in the last month. Um, they are going to, you know, this is their future. This is, this is where that creative media industry is going. And, and guys, on the back of this, sorry, this is us on a monologue 
piece, but it <laughs> will get super to the question soon. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's amazing. I've worked in communities for 30 years um, and, and building those communities and seeing how to build strong communities and had some success. I've never seen anything like an NFT community. Um, it's partly because they're, um, they're, they're, they're invested, but this community in particular has been given a platform to be like invested, creative and advocates for something that's really, really exciting. And um, I can only imagine what's going to happen when the broader music community, for instance, understands that Spotify has three years left. Mm. Like really, it really if, if, if this works the way that it may work, and the, the snowball of understanding how quickly um, musicians will be able to, able to monetize their own product again, it's just going to be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That's, and that's a really good point. Yeah. Go ahead, Paul. Yeah, Sorry. I'm, just, yeah. I'm very, sort of very curious. We, we seem to be, it sort of seems to be focused on sort of very collectible things at the moment in a um, sense that are... Um, yeah, just scratching the surface in terms of what what the possibilities are, and I, you know, I look at you know people who who create say, um, you know, photography, and that you know then they want to license that out and so on. That it doesn't really seem to have been applied there. Um, music, video, and a lot of that technology, I guess, just doesn't doesn't exist yet. Um, oh no, it definitely it definitely does, and there are some really massive. Um, people in the music scene, pioneers, you know, who are platinum recording artists that are either develop their own technology to allow artists to release this stuff or, um, or big kind of um, well-funded projects that are building that infrastructure out further now. Like the technology isn't the problem at, right now anymore. It used to be, but it definitely isn't now. It's, um, you know, I think to Brooke's point around the, lifespan of Spotify, it's to do with their existing licensing lockups. And when those expire, um, you know, you talk to, you know, I can name half a dozen Grammy, Grammy winning artists that um, are in communities that we've developed so far, um, who are absolutely and utterly committed to this path of content distribution, because um, they have so much more control over how it how those communities are built out and how it's monetized. And even kind of the downstream yeah. um, things around royalty management and stuff like that, you know, we're having um, really interesting conversations at the moment around that whole space because um, in the tax and legal systems, they have never contemplated the notion of royalties being able to be collected without a middleman in the middle of them. And so now we can do yeah. this kind of direct distribution and these smart contracts take care of um, royalties and, um, you don't need these intermediaries in the process anymore. Of course, that's where creators are going to go, because why not? Um, and yeah. and now all of the kind of stuff, infrastructure around licensing and all that kind of stuff is what's playing catch up, not the technology. What what about? I mean, it seems that um, uh, Brooke, you mentioned sort of gas uh, fees before. We haven't sort of delved into that, but in terms of um, sort of, you know, micro type payments, which is what I would imagine for, you know, for, for someone wanting to listen, you know, say, listen to a bit of audio um, and not to quite the same extent, but if they want to, you know, buy a track uh, as we as we used to back in, back in the old days, 
um, those, you know, those, those sorts of smaller transactions. I haven't kind of seen um, that this, uh, you know, the NFT sort of uh, landscape is that good at the, the you know, those those smaller uh, transactions. So, yeah, there seem to be, I yeah, mean, I think there's, there's, a, there's that piece and there's there's other complexities in just terms of how easy it seems to be to get, to get involved. Yeah. That's actually also a solved problem now, um, although um, not as widely distributed a, a solution, but it is kind of coming along strongly. So, um, you're going to have these kind of two tiers of networks. So like kind of primary network, that's job is to provide generalized security for all of the other networks. So Ethereum's main net, for example, is an example of what would be a primary network. And then you have these secondary layer networks, which rely on the security of that primary network, but have different characteristics. Um, so uh, for example, um, Immutable X is a specialized um, NFT sidechain with zero gas fees um, that relies on the security of Ethereum. So it can it can give you the same security guarantees as the mainnet, but it, it's um, gasless NFT transactions. Um, Sensnet, you know, the centrality's mainnet is another one which um, is connecting to Ethereum, and you can do low um, low fee transactions and really simple user onboarding. Um, even even hide gas from users using Centrality's um, fee token exchange. And so um, all of those kind of user experience layer things are pretty much also solved problems and they're working their way into applications now. And Paul, I think the first thing to, you know, we've, NFTs are lucky that there's been, you know, years and years of hard graft from um, people working in DeFi and IoT. IoT in particular, in and around blockchain uh, or, or near blockchain solutions for IoT have been looking at low power, low gas solutions for a very, very long time anyways. So whether it's, you know, projects like IOTA, which is a, a slightly older one now, Aaron will know don't a lot more Don't mention IOTA. But, uh, no, I don't, no, I don't. But you know what I'm saying? But I'm saying that that's a, that's, that's, that's a, that was a solution to a problem. Yeah, no, I, so, I think. But you know what I'm I suggesting? I think the key point, though, is that, you know, we've as humans, we're very, very innovative, and this is a very fast-moving yeah. space. So, you know, as soon as these problems have been identified, they're already being worked on, and solutions are usually not that far off, you know, going live, going, you know, um, Broad, Mainstream. like Aaron said, there's a lot of things that have already been built out and just sort of, you know, needing to gain a bit more adoption for those issues to stop being things that we talk about. And the, the gas fees yeah. on Ethereum are, you know, a really great point in case because that's been an issue for quite a while. It's been known about for a long time. There's a lot of work being done on that. And, you know, with the London Hard Fork the other week, there is, you know, very big strides being made towards solving those problems. Yeah. And, and, it's, it, and you kind of, we're donkey deep in this stuff. And so, of course, we know about all of these kind of new innovations. The general public's usually kind of six months to a year behind what's actually going on. And so, um, and so that's, you know, that's a challenge for us to kind of keep um, communicating better around. But a lot of the things that people might have imagined were issues for blockchain technology, you know, a year ago or two years ago or three years ago, the tropes that they have in their mind about what's possible with the space and what the problems are, are generally technically solved now. Even things like the environmental concerns, which is a big thing that comes up around NFTs. Um, you know, we look at, um, you can look at this a couple of ways, but um, NFTs in themselves don't contribute any more carbon to 
the atmosphere than the blockchain running itself. What contributes carb carbon in running those blockchains that have this problem is this keeping the network secure, not minting new data in the network. And so, um, so that in itself is a bit of a misnomer. Having said that, pretty much every blockchain in the world now is moving towards or is already using proof of stake, which doesn't use any, it uses the same kind of energy footprint as any other application would in the world. Um, and less than some, like, you know, gaming, for example, uses a, sh- a shoot ton more energy than NFTs ever do. <laughs> um, and so, um, so, that, so the ideas about what these problems are and the common um, beliefs about what these problems are have generally already been solved or a long way down the track to being solved. Ethereum will migrate to proof of stake sometime in the near future. And that will resolve entirely pretty much 90% of the carbon concerns for for NFTs. Until then, the NFT community made some NFTs to raise enough money to wipe the carbon debt of every NFT that's ever been created. So, awesome. so that's so not actually a problem um, in practical terms, but it's kind of a well-popularized um, misconception, let's mm-hmm. say. One of the th- things that I sort of like to liken this to when I talk about crypto and blockchain is, you know, your, the evolution of the mobile phone. So if you remember your very first mm-hmm. mobile phone, one of those old school Nokias with a keypad and, you know, a little screen with like digital, you know, emojis really the snake old game. Old snake game, yeah. So what the media is always talking about with crypto, blockchain, NFTs, it's always focused on that very first version of how things looked and all the problems with that. And those of us who are in the industry are using iPhones or at least we've seen them yeah. being developed and being built and we can see where this is going. So I think it's very much that, you know, the pace of change is really fast. The first version of something is never the final version. And, yeah. you know, we're great at iteration and improving and innovating. And it's a really exciting space if you can, you know, see, see ahead to where things are going. That's a, that's a great way to put it, um, Janine. I, I guess it sort of ra- probably raises the, um, you know, the question with, with NFTs as to, um, you know, where, when do you get involved? When is the technology sort of mature enough? You, you, you know, you don't necessarily want to buy that expensive first cell phone that's, you know, $10,000 that you're going to be, you know, mm-hmm. um, throwing away in, um, in a couple of years' time. Uh, I'm still hoping know. for CryptoKitties to be realised in value as the very first NFTs. <laughs> well, yeah, the first official ones, right? Yeah. Why are they not worth anything? I mean, so come the, on, those should be so collectibles now, those first-gen CryptoKitties. Maybe. Um, from an outsider here again, someone that's not from the tech side, um, the first thing I think, you know, and, and no, one's ever gonna, no one should ever give investment advice around these things, and I'm not. But I'm going to say get involved in, in in some way. So even if you, it doesn't matter what you're spending on this, but for buying something like this or getting involved in something like this means that you start to read about it and learn about it and you won't get left behind. And the truth is that everyone that dismissed cryptocurrency four or five years ago is is four years later than if they hadn't dismissed it, had just bought like, you know, a tiny bit of cryptocurrency, enough to invest them in learning. And so I'm not saying go out there and buy a site, you know, CryptoPunk for $1.3 million. $8 million. potentially just start... Yeah, 13, 13 million I saw is the most expensive one now, right? Um, but you know what I'm saying? Saying that, that that involvement for me in that 2017 uh, cryptocurrency has led me in a, on a four-year exploration of a really exciting and innovative area. 
um, and and eventually has led me to like projects that I think have been really really cool. So that's that's my reason to get involved. I think I think now, also as, um, to as a money. small plug, um, SenseNet's going to be launching the Lithograph soon, which is its um, minting marketplace, and um, that's a local Kiwi company that's making it really easy and accessible for anyone who doesn't know. Um, you know much about blockchain to go into a simple website and create create your first NFT if you if you've got some art or some media or something you want to build into that it's, it's a few clicks um, and you can start to kind of participate yeah. in the economy. A lot of people who um, naysay or pundits that kind of throw mud at what's going on in the space um, have never used an application. Um, or they used it so long ago that the experience is no longer relevant. If you actually kind of get in there and start using some of this technology, it, it quickly becomes um, very obvious how this experience is, is much better than anything else we use on the internet. My identity across every application is the same. I don't have to go and create new passwords for every site that I log into. I don't have to give them any of my personal data. I can go and transact with someone with one click and no no kind of friction in those processes. The technology is truly disruptive in terms of the way that it changes the online um, experience for end users. And people, and and people I, lots of people don't like that notion because um, it destroys their existing business model. If your whole business is built around the idea that a corporation um, can control end-to-end how you experience the internet or their application and your data is captured in their application as hostage they just don't that's just kind of going to wreck their business model so um, there's a lot of vested interests who talk out about these kind of problems that are really non-existent and the best way to overcome that is just get in there and have a go and use it because you'll quickly see the difference yeah i mean i'm certainly a big proponent with with technology of sort of getting stuck in and, and having a look having a bit mm. of a play um and I, you know i think i've probably said it you know too many times before on these sorts of things um so yeah i i would definitely say you know have a look but you don't have to go in and spend a hot you know a whole a whole lot of money um there are sort nah. of you know reasonably low cost ways to have a have a bit of a dabble and and um and have a look um, I, I mean, I think there are probably some some um, you know genuine challenges in terms of making this something that's accessible to a really really broad range of people. At the, you know, at this stage, um, it's going to be a reasonably small percentage of the population uh, that are going to get involved. Well, well, well actually, uh, almost thirty uh, yeah, percent. Almost thirty percent well. of New Zealanders um, own some kind of crypto asset already. It's not a, a niche thing anymore. Coinbase has 48 million customers in the US. They're bigger than the Bank of America. So this this is not a niche yeah. thing. And last night, my dad got his first NFT. Um, and he's, you know, you know, a generation, a few generations on, and he's not super techie savvy. But he, happened, he downloaded Silo, which is another portfolio company of ours that makes it really easy to set, a, set up a wallet. You don't have to think about anything to do with blockchains. Got into there and received his first NFT in the wallet. So it isn't as hard as it seems to be, and it's not niche anymore. It's a massive part of the economy already. Mm-hmm. And, and Paul and Janine, well, everybody, I think when I'm trying to explain this, I, I held like a Zoom for like 60 friends that wanted to learn about NFT after, after you know, the success of Fluff. 
And one of the core parts was that I've, I've loved cryptocurrency for the last four years learning about it, but I am not passionate about financial markets or currency exchange at all. And so when everyone's posting the graphs and, and talking about, you know, is it a, you know, what, is it a head and shoulder? I, I'm not interested in any of that. As, as I'm guessing most people aren't, you know, 90% of people, that's not interesting to them. What is interesting to them is, 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 is stuff that content that is relevant to their communities. And so I try to explain this, that NFTs are going to get into every single community. If you're a sports yep. fan, they're creating sports NFTs. If you're a stamp collector, and this every is Every major, right every now, major New Zealand sports yep. franchise is working on this now. This is yep. not niche. Yep. If, if, if you are, you know, the fact that Christie's and Sotheby's and all these people are getting into this is because art fans, art collectors are, are building it. You know, it's every single I'm community. waiting for it to come out to whiskey. And That'll what, be my NFT of choice. That's right. Well, no, that's, listen, you, whatever it is that you're interested in, a 10-minute jam with someone that understands the constraints and opportunities with the NFTs, and you'll go, wait a second, this is going to become a digital um, token that I can put in my wallet, which is visible for everyone to see, to say, wait, Janine likes whiskeys, and she's got this one thing that says that she likes them enough to wear that she either discovered this bit of content early because she's an explorer, or she's wealthy enough to have bought it therefore she's kind of a patron and those two you know sorry this is me i get well, a or creator right those Discovery are the three things right you, so it's important. your identity yeah. it's your yeah, creativity creator. it's your community it's a really yeah. powerful way to yeah. Yeah, yeah engage digitally and it's it's yeah, yeah you've really had it so she did head there brooke i think sushi did a nft yeah. drop for the community for sake so whiskey must be on the way yeah Keep me posted. Yeah, You're yeah, usually at right. the forefront and, of these things, Aaron. Right. So flip me a note. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I actually, and, I actually and, built and, my own still, so maybe we can make it happen ourselves. <laughs> the, the fluffs whiskey. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, you bought eight yacht club. Bring out yeah. a drink. So that's you know there we go. Communities, um, live events, guys. Live events. Oh yeah, Paul. Did well. you yeah. NFT you know, this LinkedIn live, live stream? Well, again, sorry, not to kind of make it relevant here, but a world where content is smart and where in a year and a half's time, if this actually is valuable to someone and they're willing to micro pay to kind of go through and learn from it, and it's going to find its way back to you, Paul, without like 14 middle people on the way. Without, that's, that's yeah, but without giving too much plans. away, I can guarantee you yeah. that in a year's time um, with – if you're a New Zealander going to a major New Zealand festival, you will be buying your ticket as an NFT. Like, so it's it's a mainstream. It's giving a lot it's away. A mainstream by the way. You're giving thing. a lot away. Okay, okay. Well, yeah. you know, look. Yeah. Um, you, yeah. I mean, you guys are, uh, you know, as you say, you're, um, you know, more than just uh, toe deep in this stuff. Um, so uh, no, I, I, uh, I appreciate that. I. Um, I guess what I often see is as we maybe think certain things will happen a little bit quicker than, than what they do. Um, but um, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how, how it evolves uh, and having some more conversations on this. And uh, yeah, look, that's, that sounds pretty exciting, Aaron. Um, and yeah, look, it's, um, it's been fascinating sort of, you know, watching the way that um, the blockchain and crypto things sort of has evolved um, more from a public perspective, because I'm I'm not as deep into it um, as you guys are. Um, 
and and you know definitely there's there's growth there, but there are other areas that do seem to be moving a lot slower than um, than what one might imagine. Um, so look, if uh, if we can, if you know, if New Zealand can be at the forefront on a lot of these things, and we can do really well at it, um, you know, that's the sort of stuff I'm into. As things that are going to move the needle yeah. for for us as a country, for our economy, that those sort of you know flow ons. Um, and look, there's no reason why we, why we shouldn't be. And I you know I think that. Um, you know, you've already proven that we that we can can be um, over you know over, over yeah. you know a no, number of years. So you know, let, let's keep let's keep that coming. It's great, um, and I look forward to actually seeing 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 more of the you know those things that you you uh, you hint at um, you know being in place. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, at least two of the top companies in the world um, now with with this space with um, non fungible labs and Ecomi are Kiwi companies, and there are more coming in the pipeline it's a really great opportunity for us as a nation to keep producing lightweight exports one thing that's become very very apparent is that um, the intangible economy is growing enormously with lockdowns and the kind of new way of um, kind of you know managing the situation that we're in now and we'd be silly as a nation to miss out on that so when a um when a nike you know they're yeah. very collectible some of their some of their shoes and so on um when are they going to be in this space okay aaron's You're signing them up right it. now right You're already okay. in the space. <laughs> <There we go>. <laughs> <laughs> no i mean they're, they're already producing virtual versions yeah. for Gu- gucci is nike is pretty much every top sports yeah. brand in the world now there we yeah, have it. Yeah, Excellent. Yeah. Oh well, thank thank you so much. Uh, great to great to catch up. Great to have uh, each of you on the show. Uh, we will look forward to tapping back in uh, in the future and, and hearing some of uh, some of that progress. Uh, any anything you wanted to share in terms of contact details or, or links or anything else? Starting with you, Brooke. Yeah, you can go to fluff.world to learn more about. Um, fluff and then if you want to just search out on linkedin non-fungible labs and follow us um we're a little bit buried in the projects right now we should start there's a few updates that come through on there which are good but um yeah yeah follow those two that'd be great yeah and and just to add to that um if you're wanting to explore the space and you don't have much money jump into the fluff world discord and start engaging with the easter egg hunt community and maybe you'll win one good tip yeah yeah absolutely well, just hit just hit up Aaron and ask him for a fluff. Everyone else is so. Come on, Aaron. Come on, Aaron. Can't do it. Hand them around. Um, Janine, uh, yeah. How do people get get hold of you or, or um, get connected with Easy Crypto? Yeah, look, we're pretty easy to find easycrypto.com or you can find me on LinkedIn from the link Paul put on. Um, the other link that I'd recommend for people to check out is opensea.io. That's C-S-E-A. And it's a great place to look at what NFTs are out there and look at the prices and look, maybe pick yourself up a, a little something-something. I, um, I, I got a – so I'll just end on a, um, a, a tweet I saw yesterday where a guy said he was having a, a meeting with the top record exec in L.A., and the record, he was talking about NFTs, and the, and the record said, said, listen, I think they're pretty much 99% dead. And and the guy reminded me, he said, you know, OpenSea did $125 million yesterday. And the record exec said, what is OpenSea? And that, that shows you potentially how disruptive this is going to be. $125 million they did yesterday, guys. Yeah. 
been um, in volume. For those insane. that are listening to the audio, we will put up on the NZ Tech Podcast site uh, a link back to the LinkedIn Live video uh, if you want to see our smiling faces and so on as well. So, um, but you can certainly well, well worth um, following uh, Brooke Howard Smith, Janine Granger, Aaron McDonald, uh, and myself, Paul Spain. If you want to be kept in the in the loop on uh, uh, all these uh, all these things of uh, NFTs and and crypto and blockchain, um, we'll look forward to catching you on the next episode. Thanks, team. Thanks, Paul. Cheers, Paul. Cheers, Thanks for having us on. Bye. Stay safe, everybody. Thanks, guys. Stay locked in. New Zealand's Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community. Proudly supported by Umbrella Connect.